0: Between 2019 and 2020, the total number of veterans experiencing homelessness remained relatively unchanged despite considerable reductions in previous years, meaning roughly 37,000 veterans across the country still lack permanent housing. Additionally, at least 1.4 million are considered at risk of homelessness, and we do not have a full picture yet of how this number might have been impacted as a result of the pandemic. Veteran homelessness is further complicated because as we all know, a shortage of affordable rental housing remains a major issue across the country. The harsh truth is we will likely not build our way out of the affordable housing crisis, at least no time soon. We simply cannot build enough one bedroom apartments to house every single veteran in need right now. And that's why you guys are here, because you realize this and you realize that we need to be talking about and thinking about those other options, options that might work in our communities right now and options that we might consider, but we're overall just less familiar with. My name is Jasmine and I'm the Housing Program Associate at the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans. Welcome to season two of the Road Home Podcast, where every week we will discuss creative housing solutions for veterans. Before we get into this week's episode, a very special thank you. We wanna take this time to acknowledge and thank the Home Depot Foundation for sponsoring this podcast and for continuing to fund veterans housing throughout the country. For roughly a decade, the Home Depot Foundation has remained committed to supporting the mission and work of NCHV. Their continued partnership means more housing availability for veterans and hopefully one day an end to veteran homelessness. The Home Depot Foundation works to improve the homes and lives of U.S. veterans, train skilled tradespeople to fill the labor gap and support communities impacted by natural disasters. The Foundation's Veteran Housing Grants Program awards grants to nonprofit organizations for the new construction or rehabilitation of permanent supportive housing for veterans. Since 2011, the foundation has invested more than $375 million in veteran causes and improved more than 50,000 veteran homes and facilities. The foundation has pledged to invest half a billion dollars in veteran causes by 2025 and 50 million in training the next generation of skilled tradespeople through the Path to Pro program. We'll be highlighting some of their work as we talk about various affordable housing developments throughout this series if you're developing projects that support veterans exiting homelessness or would like to learn more about how the home depot foundation is making a difference and continues to serve those who serve visit homedepotfoundation.org all right you guys the theme for this episode is shared equity or shared ownership Which you guys probably feel like you do hear the idea come up a little bit in discussions surrounding affordable housing, um, but not a whole lot in the world of veteran homelessness or veterans affordable rental housing. If you're wondering how we chose this topic and why we're covering it this week, here are a couple of points that might help with answering that question. Now, shared equity is a broad term. It includes some elements of inclusionary zoning. Um, It can include limited limited equity cooperatives, community land trusts, things like that. Things with long-term affordability restrictions built in where residents also share in either profits or real property ownership. Honestly, stability was on our mind when we were choosing this topic. Like some of the other topics this season, we're really just thinking about options that are more stable and potentially more beneficial for veterans in the long term. This topic, again, feels like kind of like a step up or one added layer, the next level kind of, to most of the options we're more familiar with. This can be added on top of what properties already look like an affordable rental or ownership space or options in a scenario where veterans are renting shared equity might look like them sharing in some of the profits of the property as a whole In shared ownership schemes veterans might actually share in the ownership of the actual property or the land or a combination of both which would allow them to build equity over the lifetime of the property and they can either cash out the value when they move on or pass on the ownership and value to their families when the time comes. In this episode, we're going to talk about that first option, so a rental housing scheme where long-term or permanent affordable housing um, is available to veterans to rent, and they share in the profits of the property as a whole. This week, we have two very special guests, Bruce Buckley, CEO of Soldier On, and Mike Hagmire, the Executive Vice President of Soldier On. Soldier On is a nonprofit organization which offers sort of the full continuum of care for veterans. They provide both immediate and long-term housing, which are coupled with on-site supportive services. Soldier On's ultimate goal is to provide formerly homeless veterans with permanent, supportive, sustainable housing, assisting them in their transition from homelessness to home ownership. They opened their first property that fits this affordable rental model with shared equity more than ten years ago and they currently have seven properties in the works in various stages. We're going to discuss the model that really grew out of their first property, the Gordon H. Mansfield Veterans Community in Pittsfield, Massachusetts. Within the Gordon H. Mansfield Veterans Community model, the value resident shares are held in a trust, and it's available to them if they choose to move out or move on, or veterans can use their annual payouts to supplement their income while they live on site. We are gonna cover a little bit of the planning and concept conceptualization that goes into the property, the importance of on-site services and building sort of a sense of community for veterans, how veterans control the equity they accumulate while they're residents. We really have a ton to cover today, you guys. I just wanna thank Mike and Bruce again for their time and for sharing all this awesome information with our audience. Now, this episode will wrap with why other communities should consider this development type and how we might think of the opportunity moving forward. Let's dive in.
1: Hi, Jasmine. Uh, This is Bruce Buckley. I'm the CEO and president of Soldier On Inc., a nonprofit based originally in Massachusetts to address veteran homelessness. We started in 1994 and have been growing and serving veterans ever since. I could talk a lot, but I'll give you kind of a brief overview of what we do. We started as a transitional housing program really a long-term program that resembled a shelter, but with a two-year program attached through the grant per diem program funded by the VA. And we ran that successfully many years ago and really saw after a while that many of the veterans that were in our transitional housing went on successfully, but many made their, their way back into the same situation because they didn't have a good support system and they really struggled without that support system or the community that most of us get to enjoy in our lives. So at that time, we said we need to also build permanent housing and develop permanent housing and really, most importantly, serve the veterans well that live in our permanent housing. And that's a program that's been steadily growing over the last 15 years where we're working on really our seventh property right now in Tinton Falls, New Jersey. Additionally, we do a program called SSVF, Supportive Services for Veteran Families. We are a fairly large provider in the Northeast. We have Massachusetts, New Jersey, much of New York State, and all of Western Pennsylvania as regions that we serve veterans. We've got about 80 or 90 employees out working with veterans every day in that program, which they really start to interweave because often a veteran we meet in SSVF might end up in our permanent housing after going through a transitional housing. So that's not the only avenue. We certainly have other ways we support veterans. but. They really connect in a lot of ways, and the needs of the veterans that we see are pretty similar, whether they're in Pennsylvania, New York, New Jersey, or even other veterans that come from around the country into our program. So that's just kind of a quick snapshot of the agency, and I'll turn it over to Mike.
2: Hey, Jasmine. Mike Hagmeyer, the Executive Vice President of Soldier On. I oversee our permanent housing. I also help to write our grants. I work on some data collection and uh, some compliance, and I help with some of our housing development as well. Um, With Bruce talking about our permanent housing and our services, I think the uh, one thing that we try to do is deliver all of our services we can as an agency to the veterans, whether it's peer support, case management, substance abuse, life skills. Uh, transportation. And if we can't provide those services, we look to partner uh, with agencies that the, the specialize in those services. And we look uh, to the veterans to find out what their needs are and then really do a deep dive search for partner agencies that are out there.
0: Great. Okay. Well, it sounds like you guys have very robust programs. And then also, um speaking of partnership, it's just it, it's great to hear it's sort of wraparound services and encompasses everything you really want um from start to finish. So you said you do have um, multiple properties in the works right now. I know for the theme for this episode, we're particularly interested in um the co-op and shared ownership model. So will you just speak a little bit about the permanent housing you guys own or are developing right now?
1: Yeah, I think you know the model that is I think one of your questions was, you know, do you keep finding the needs change or you can broaden your services to meet the needs of the veterans? So that's really the success of the program. I like to talk about, we build beautiful buildings because they're very nice buildings and we, we provide a lot. We furnish every unit now as part of all of our projects. That's something we didn't do in our first project and learned we really need to provide the essential furniture for the men and women that come into these buildings because without that, they may not have access to the resources to obtain the furniture and that creates a real problem right from the start. We also, on all of our properties, pretty much now install a columbarium. And what a columbarium is, if you're not familiar, is to inter the ashes of someone who has been cremated. And we didn't think of that when we did our first property, but we quickly learned that, you know, unfortunately, if we're successful in the men and women that stay with us till the end of their lives, we are part of the end of their life. So the columbarium is a choice that many of the veterans make. It's on most all of our sites. It has a patio, it has seating for veterans to reflect. It has an eternal flame. So there's a lot of honor and dignity and a real sense that we are their home for eternity, essentially. Additionally, kind of along those lines, we have two full-time attorneys on our staff. And at no charge to the veterans, what they do is work amongst a lot of things with the men and women to provide a will, a power of attorney and a healthcare proxy when they move into permanent housing. Because we learned of a need that without those items, if someone has a medical event or if someone dies, we weren't prepared to really handle the situation. So again, we quickly learned to provide those things after opening the first property, um, you know beyond that, I think you mentioned the cooperative model that we really like to overlay over the property so as i many of the listeners may know, when you develop affordable housing, there's multiple funding sources that are available by federal, by state, by local governments, and we certainly take advantage of all those. What comes with that is a bit of restriction on what you can do with your property. So while in our first building, our goal was to really provide ownership of the real estate to the veteran, we quickly learned that was not going to be possible. So what we decided to do, and this was over 10 years ago with our first property in Pittsfield, Mass., was to establish a cooperative that the veterans were all members of when they moved in. And that cooperative gave the veteran the ability to have some equity bills as equity in the property bills. And we built that equity by setting up an account for each veteran when they moved in. And then each year we look at the cash flow and the profitability of the operating entity that pays all the bills and collects all the rents and share a portion of that with each veteran through their equity account which they can either accumulate and build equity in the form of a cash account that's attached to the really the success of the property or they can take the money and spend it currently it's certainly up to them what they do with their equity Um, i think that's been a great model because what it allows first of all it, it they are part of the they buy into the cost of running the property so They see that if they're able to reduce costs like maintenance or other services that they can maybe do without hiring it out to uh, somebody else, they're able to have a little more equity in their property, somewhat how we all own and operate real estate in our personal lives. And again, this model has been successful, but beyond the, the cash side of it, it really creates a community. And I think that's the key that I've learned over the last 20 years of doing this, that homelessness is not about drug addiction or alcohol issues or mental health issues, because they certainly are often involved, but really why an individual is homeless is they're alone. If they had a family support system, they would not be allowed to be homeless. So however they get to be alone, we really become the community that they become part of, and then they form their own community with each other. And that becomes a self-sustaining model that we've really watched grow and have adjusted as we've seen the growth and the needs at each property's level.
0: All right. Well, I mean, it's just it, I feel like you're dropping so many gems because the idea of being able to provide support services and have these um sort of site features is important. Um, Thinking through the lifetime of the project is also important. And I think the model you guys have built is so interesting because not only do the veterans have a personal interest in seeing the property be successful and like you're saying, um, be involved in the operations and stuff, but they also are either maintaining a savings or have um, some equity to use every year, you know, to maintain some standard of living and and income from living on the site. You know what I'm saying? So that is is super impressive. I have a question and I'm sure our listeners are wondering as well. What state are veterans moving into the property in? Are they coming from other programs? You mentioned y'all operate SSVF. Are they typically transferring from Other um, housing programs or are they coming straight from experiencing homelessness, uh, maybe unsheltered and stuff like that into your program or into your permanent housing?
2: So they're coming from all different locations. Uh, A majority of the veterans uh, are coming through transitional grant per diem operated housing. Uh, But as we started to develop more housing we started to see more veterans coming from either street homeless uh, from the shelter from uh, housing that was inadequate um, and also from ssvf providers ourselves as an ssvf provider or from other ssvf providers um, also with our housing we have some project-based hub vouchers and we have a great relationship with the VAs, uh, so we do a weekly call with the Hadash team and go over who is on their interest pool uh, for veterans that might be eligible for our housing. Uh, so it could be veterans that they're working with potentially in, in, in the DOMS or in the other GPD programs that are in the area.
0: Great, okay. And before we move into um, sort of the next topic, which is you know the veterans living there and the lifetime of the project, I'm wondering what sort of considerations go into a project like this that might be different than your traditional just um, build multifamily housing, you know, and and occupy it. Um, What sort of uh, forethought goes into building a project like this where veterans are actually going to take part in the ownership of the property and and build or live in a cooperative model?
1: I think a little bit of that, and this isn't, this is maybe a cop-out answer, but is um, you build it and they will come type of concept because where we've built our properties, Western Mass is where we started, and we've got several here that's basically west of the Connecticut River, if you're familiar with this part of the country. But we've now expanded, obviously, I said, into New Jersey. We've got a big project under construction ready to open on November 1st. And we have the Boston area, and we have a couple under others under development. They are generally, as we expand geographically, in our SSVF region or nearby. And that's because we have a lot of access to veterans and a lot of knowledge of the needs of those areas. But I think most importantly, what we're finding is through podcasts like this and through a lot of other means, we've been able to, we we get invited by a lot of communities because I think affordable housing, as we all know, is becoming more and more of an issue as the price of housing and rents go up steadily. It's harder and harder for a larger piece of the population to, um, you know, find adequate housing, especially with services and a support system. So more and more communities reach out to us. Tinton Falls was a result of that community reaching out to us several years ago and wanting this type of um, prop, uh, affordable housing in their community. So, you know, the, the where we pick is really a matter of who's interested. And let's figure out a way if we can do it, we will do it. We've been working in Daytona somewhat without a lot of success yet but working with the city of Daytona to try to get some housing in Daytona and it's really at the invitation of the powers that be in Daytona, Florida that have brought us down there.
0: Great okay well that answers the question I had. just like how do you choose the location and how um, you're actually picking the sites that do this but if the, it's coming from the interest of the person who either already owns a property, owns the land, or the residents themselves, and that makes sense. Um, and so you you spoke a little bit about the funding that was used. I know you said you guys have some project-based HUD-VASH, um, and I'm assuming with the long-term operation of the supportive services on site, some of that covers, the, the funding from hud bash covers that, but what other types of funding um, goes into building a project like this?
1: So I'll start, and maybe Mike can in- jump in at the end. It's a variety of funding to actually build the project, and that's a challenge everywhere we go. There's a whole process that's pretty specific. It's really an industry in itself that started much of it I think was when the uh, low low income housing tax credit program started in 1986, LIHTC as it's called. And each state gets money through tax credits from the federal government that we can apply for as a nonprofit. And if we're awarded that, then we essentially you sell those often to banks who need to invest in affordable housing as part of their federal charter. And then we can build a building with the money and the banks get the tax credits. So like our project in Tinton Falls, New Jersey, A big chunk of it's being built with tax credits, but the rest of it comes from the each state has multiple funding federal home loan bank. We have money often in a project. There's some other HUD money that we can couple in. Sometimes we end up with a piece of a a permanent mortgage that we have to pay, but not a big piece of the property. And often we don't even have a mortgage. Um, so building it is one system, and then operating it, as you mentioned, is another system that we can talk a little more about. And then I'll let Mike talk about the subsidies and the HUD bash and how that works. So, you know, with the with the project-based HUD
2: bash, it's it's definitely a secure subsidy that, that allows our funders to feel comfortable funding the property. Uh, and then also having that relationship with the, um, with the local VA to have also mobile vouchers able to come into the properties has been great. Uh, and then we also have worked with the state of Massachusetts to get, uh, MRVP, uh, vouchers, which is just a Massachusetts rental, uh, voucher, uh, that is paid for subsidies in our Chicopee project. And then in New Jersey, uh, we have 18 project-based uh, subsidies from the state of New Jersey uh, that are just Section 8 vouchers, all of which help the veterans who are moving in to pay their rent. Uh, and then, you know, the rental cost uh, helps support all of the services that we're providing there to the veterans.
1: So just one other piece on the operating cost, because it is a challenge, we often take local donations and allocate them specifically to help balance the budget of the services that we provide. Something I didn't mention before is we provide a meal a day in all of our properties for the veterans. And what that meal is, it comes from, historically in Massachusetts, it comes from our commercial kitchen, which was part of one of our projects in Agawam. And the commercial kitchen is primarily for Soldier On uh, food program, and it employs formerly homeless veterans, many of whom live in the building, who run the kitchen and operate it. And what we've been able to do is offer the the service and the product to, in Massachusetts, some local daycares, pretty good-sized daycares need, fun, need food, and we've become a provider. So We're able to to charge the daycare, and that helps subsidize the cost of the food that goes to the veterans. Additionally, we've grown a pretty large local transportation system where we have about 15 vehicles in Massachusetts. We provide free transportation to all of the veterans in our program. We provide a lot of free transportation to veterans in the communities that aren't in Soldier On, But since we're going to the VAs, we're going to medical appointments, we've been able to include those veterans who have needs at no cost to the veteran. And what we've done to help subsidize that is we've become, in Massachusetts, a Medicaid transportation vendor, and we're able to bill for other rides that we do. And not only does it move all the veterans to where they need to be, It also allows us, we have about 15 full-time drivers who most all of them are formerly homeless drivers. So it creates employment as well as creates transportation. And in New Jersey, as we get ready to open, we've applied to New Jersey Medicaid to be a provider in New Jersey. So we've really figured out ways to help subsidize the operating costs because as you mentioned in some of your questions, Getting all that we do out of the rents is pretty difficult. So we've had to figure out other ways to help um, as a subsidy to, to help cover these service costs.
0: Great. Okay. And just to make sure I'm on the same page and our listeners are, so veterans are moving into these properties. Um, The part of the cooperative is their, um, you know, their buy-in to the success of the property. And then also their say in how the property is run. They're required to pay rent in most cases, but you guys do have other sources that cover the operational cost of the property. And really the benefits of veterans living in this type of community is that they are able to cash out yearly payments if the property... um, you know whatever whatever the property's profitability is for that year they can cash out the yearly payments or they can bank them and save them if they were to move out later or save them for when they need them right so what i'm understanding is that the most of the people that move into this project are there for the long term if not for the lifetime of the property um, and, and i guess to kind of build off of that if anybody has ever moved out of y'all's properties what are they moving on to is it on to home ownership or what would they move on to
2: so so it's, some are moving into home ownership uh and some are choosing to move closer to family since uh you know a lot of the veterans come into our program and have lost that connection with their family and when they move into our permanent housing Uh, They want to regain that uh, relationship with family and uh, our case managers work with them uh, on any any way that they can to regain that connection to their family. And so some of them want to move closer uh, to family, uh, which could be out of state. uh, And then some might need a significant other and want to move into uh, an apartment in the community where they can uh, live with a significant other
1: also. We also have a pretty again stuff uh, programs we've developed since we started we have a relationship with a kind of assisted living program in western massachusetts as well as a working relationship with some of the nursing homes in western massachusetts and beyond because we're there as the veterans age and we build the buildings with aging in place being part of the, the original design with bars in the bathrooms to, to help support the mobility issues, uh, showers that you can roll into in a wheelchair, even though they may not have needed that when they moved in. So we really work to address aging in place, but eventually sometimes that doesn't work out. So we have, again, relationship with nursing homes and long-term care, and we have staff that continues to visit and connect the veterans if they end up in that living environment. Because, you know, we never say you're out a soldier on, you're on your own now. So we transport them back for events and meals and parades and we do whatever we can to keep the veteran part of the soldier on community. And I'll add one more thing that we, before I ever heard the word COVID, we decided to go into telehealth as we were growing geographically. So, our mental health providers, our case managers, and our other groups could connect through a HIPAA approved program, which Let's Talk Interactive was a, a program at a company that we found who we've worked very well with. And really, it was just by luck the week that COVID kind of hit in March of 2020 we had our first kiosk for telehealth delivered that we had ordered in the fall. So we were able to hit COVID with that in place. So we do a lot of groups through um, you know, the, the screens and the technology where a group in Boston is meeting with a group in Western Mass and soon to be New Jersey, and that's addiction groups. It's one-on-one mental health. And again, it keeps us connected to the veterans. If they end up in a long-term care facility, we work it through those areas as well. So the community lives on beyond the the tenancy and the residency.
0: But I wanted to see if you guys might um, close us out on any points, like any final lessons you have for other communities, any thoughts for other communities. Um, and and advice for people that might be considering similar projects?
2: Yeah, I I think the important thing for communities to look at is what is the need and how can you collaborate and how can you partner with each other to make it successful? Um, It's not just, in our case, soldier on doing all this work. It's looking at what are the best practices in my community and how can I make the veterans successful uh, that are going to live here?
1: Yeah, I think that's important that we do do that. And partnering is something we've done more and more of. Uh, we partnered with a for-profit developer who does affordable housing nationally called Wind Companies out of Boston on our New Jersey project because we were struggling without kind of a, a someone who had some experience in New Jersey and could get through some of the agency requirements So there's an example of how we partnered to build, you know, one of these buildings and create this community. And I think all of that goes to the same word that whether it's at the level of the property or it's how Soldier On and other agencies connect It is building a community. It's working together. We really, you know, make strong efforts to partner. We have a lot more partners now than we had two or three or five years ago. And generally, they're pretty successful in being able to provide more and better service to the veterans and seeing the success of the veteran community that we've been able to create. And then the veterans really take it from there and run it on their own with less and less uh need for us and more ability to be independent and um, kind of stand on their own and again create permanent housing for those who struggled with permanent housing and previously in life
0: so that was a lot to take in i know and i just want to thank both bruce and mike for joining us today and sharing all the great information with our audience Before we head out this week, I wanted to recap a couple of points that I want us all to be thinking about. First things first, I just felt it was important to reiterate how critical it is that projects like this have supportive services built in. It really is about creating as much stability as possible. And now some of that comes through financial preparedness, but oftentimes it also takes wraparound services, which includes forming a sense of community with a social network for veterans living on site. Something that was kind of touched on in this episode, but we discussed a little bit more offline, and I really encourage you all to check out, is the way Soldier On is building in long-term financial literacy and those type of supports into the permanent housing options they're providing to veterans. Although this model we discussed in the episode is a little bit more unique than the ownership models we're probably more familiar with, the benefits really remain the same. The concept of long-term affordability is built in residents buy into the property's overall success and residents ultimately benefit financially as a collective based on collective efforts and collective decision-making. I wanted to leave us with an idea that we should, in fact, be considering models more like this for veterans exiting homelessness, either in the arena of rental housing or home ownership. One benefit I would say this specific rental model has over others is virtually eliminating all types of risks that could be possible for the veteran household. While shared ownership models reduce risk considerably, shared equity in rental housing pretty much eliminates risk entirely, especially for the individual households. We need to be thinking about creative ways to further implement and develop this idea and really get these types of properties going. One thing you did hear Bruce and Mike mentioned when we, we spoke about financing in this interview was some of the ways that funding is restrictive and limited in the way that you can actually build out the property and build out the concept. So I think the next big feat is further sorting this out and exploring more viable ways to fund these types of properties into the future. You all can learn more about the projects or topics we discussed in this episode by checking out Soldier On's website, wesoldieron.org, and by also taking a look at our weekly one pager, which is released in the show notes for every episode. Just want to thank you guys so much for joining us this week. If you're curious about this episode or want to learn more about the National Coalition for Homeless Veterans, visit nchv.org or search NCHV on social media. The road home may be a long and winding one. However, the journey ends once every veteran has a permanent, stable, and affordable place to call home. Thank you again and see you all next week.